We're going to continue this morning what we started last week, a study through the book of Colossians. Uh, So we're going to be spending six weeks in this book and a lot of time in chapter 1. And so this morning we're going to be in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. I would encourage you uh, to turn in your Bible to Colossians 1, 15 through 23. This morning's message is entitled, Christ over all. This is one of the most beautifully written, one of the most theologically rich poems or hymns or songs or however you want to look at it in all of Scripture about who Christ is. As Paul is writing to the church in Colossae, he takes a break and he enters in these verses that adequately, as well as he possibly could articulate, how Christ is superior to anything else and everything else. There are some uh, scholars, some Bible uh, people who believe that this was a hymn that was sung to music. So if you like, I'll sing you a rendition of it now. And if you wouldn't like, give a holler, amen. You guys want me to sing? All right, you asked for it. No, amen. No, I'm not singing this morning. We don't know what the tune may be. Maybe it was a poem. Maybe Paul wrote it himself and it was adapted later. We're not sure, but here's what I do know. This passage cannot be read in monotone voice. A lot of times we get up and we read Scripture and we start off, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. And, you know, it's kind of this this monotone This is what the Bible says, and we're spitting out the facts. This is not a passage that can be read that way. So as we read it, as you're reading it in your head, really think about what is being said about who Christ is. Start thinking about what Paul is is singing or writing or articulating about Christ here in Colossians chapter 1. Let's start in verse 15 and read through verse 23. Paul writes, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Him, that is Christ, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. That's through Christ and for Christ. And He is before all things. And in him all things hold together. And he's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him, in Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making making peace by the blood of the cross." And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that is in you. Uh, I'm sorry, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that is in you that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. This poem is often said to be one of the most beautifully written words about Christ's supremacy. And what 
Paul is writing here is basically concentric circles. He starts off very broad and he brings it down very personal. And so as we're coming off a message last week about the gospel and why the gospel is so powerful and effective in our lives, Paul reminds us it's effective not because of the substance of what it says, but because of the basis on who it's from. The power of the gospel is not in a prayer. The power of the gospel is not in a word. The power of the gospel is in a person, and that person is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ over all. And so this morning, I want to take some time and look at these concentric circles, starting with the largest and bringing it down to the most personal about how Christ is Lord over all. So for starters, I want you to write this down if you take notes. Christ is Lord over creation. Christ is Lord over creation. Now, this is really important to understand, not just that Christ rules over creation, but he's the one who created all things. We read in verse 15 exactly that. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Now, there's a lot to unpack in this verse that we won't have time to get into. But let me start by saying what this verse doesn't say. There are many different religions even some other Christian denominations that teach that Jesus Christ was the very first being ever created. And that is not what Paul is saying. What Paul is not saying is that God the Father created Jesus Christ and that Christ has a beginning. Note what Paul is saying is of all things created, nothing is more important and receives more glory and honor than Christ. I think it's important to understand what firstborn means here. Firstborn does not mean, hey girls, I'm going to ask you just to go ahead and split that way if you don't mind. Thanks, appreciate it. Firstborn does not mean he was created first. What it means is he has authority as the firstborn son over all creation. Think of it like this. In the Old Testament, there was kind of a hierarchy of families, right? So the oldest son would receive the double inheritance. The second son then would receive a portion, and the third, and the fourth, and the fifth. So this image is not Christ was created first, but he is worthy of more honor than the other children. That's what Paul is communicating here. Above all else, Christ deserves glory. Above the stars that you gaze into in awe and wonder, Christ deserves more glory. Above the creation that you look at and the the beauty of nature and the sunset, as you look at trees and birds and, and hear the singing of songs, above all of that, Christ is more important. When you look at your own family and your own priorities, your own way of life, your own will, Christ is more important. Above all else, Christ deserves more glory. He is the image of the invisible God. The God that you cannot see, you can see fully in Christ. He deserves all the glory and all the honor. And then in verse 16 and 17, we get in the specifics, by Him All things were created. Right there, it ought to tell you, Christ could not have been created. This doesn't say, for by him, everything else was created. No. By him, everything that has ever been created has been created. That's exactly what he says. In heaven, 
Christ created it. And on earth, Christ created it. The visible, what you see, Christ created it. The invisible, the spiritual, Christ created it. Whether it's thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things, it says, were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. The first understanding is that Jesus Christ is Lord over everything that has ever been made or created, and He is worthy of glory and honor as the Creator. I've not been to very many art museums, but when we were in England, we, we were, uh, were able to go to some museums. There were some art pieces hung up on different places, and, and I'm not a real big fan of art, but if you enjoy looking at art, what I've always noticed is you always look at a piece of art and you admire maybe the colors or the strokes or the, the content of the art, but really what you admire is the person who painted it. There are some really good drawings on my refrigerator at home of our family. They're beautiful. They're stick people in their heads, and, and I love them. And I'm telling you right now, if I put them in a museum, they would not sell for anything. <laughs> I, I, I could put them on eBay, and I don't think you would pay the postage to get it mailed to you. But can I tell you, some of those pictures are extremely valuable to me, not because of the content on the picture, but because who drew it. You go to an art museum, and you may see a beautiful picture, and it may have some worth, but when you find out that was painted by Leonardo da Vinci or Michelangelo or, or some famous painter, Vincent van Gogh, and all of a sudden that painting, its value and its worth is incredibly more. Why? Not because of the content, but because the creator gives it value. In the same way, Christ has value. Christ receives glory and honor, not because of you and I, but because he's the one who made you and I. Christ is over all of creation because He created all of creation. Christ is the Lord over everything that can be seen. This broad brush that we see of creation should make us fall down in worship. God, You are beyond what I can fathom and imagine. You breathe things into existence. You formed me with your hands. You created the visible, what I can see, the invisible, the atoms, the spiritual. God, you have made it all. I'll be honest, when I think of Christ, Lord over all creation, I immediately retreat and fall back. Okay, God, I'm not worthy to be near you. I don't deserve to be in the same room as you. You can do things that I cannot even dream of doing. No, we see Christ over all creation. And that's where we start to understand what fear of God is. Lord, you are great and I am nothing. Paul very wisely then takes the, the focus away from everything and starts to bring it down a little more personal. What Paul then begins to say is not only is Christ Lord over all creation, but Christ is Lord over his people. Christ is Lord over His people. It's not as if God creates humanity and says, good luck, figure it out. God starts getting involved in humanity. That's why we read in verse 18, He is the head of His body, of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent or first. He is the head of his body, the church. In case we start to think God is out there but doesn't care, 
Jesus creates all things and sets back. Paul makes it clear. Christ is Lord over those who put their faith and trust in him. Christ rules supreme and yet desires to lead the likes of me and you. I I can't wrap my mind around the infinite God wanting to lead me personally. I think about this. I get starstruck fairly easily. Uh, you all know I'm, I'm a mild Kentucky basketball fan. Um, I, I like them a little bit. And When I was in high school, um, I went to a game down in Miami where I grew up. Kentucky came and played the University of Miami, and I got to go to the game. And while I was there, um, I noticed a really tall individual sitting down close to the floor, much better than my seats were. And I realized very quickly from behind, he's a basketball player. There's no way this man, who's probably close to seven foot, is not a basketball player. And I thought, I wonder who that is. So being Snoopy, before the game was starting, the, the crowd wasn't all there yet. I started making my way down, and I, I noticed who it was. It was former Kentucky basketball player, Kentucky uh, or, or Kenny Walker. Skywalker is what they called him, right? And I saw him from behind, and I was like, you guys don't know who he is, but I was like, this is, this is Skywalker. Like, this is, this is Kenny Skywalker. And I'm thinking, I don't have anything to get an autograph, right? I'm, I'm trying to look. And so I go up to him, and the first thing I do, which was a mistake, was I came all the way down to him. So instead of being a few steps up, I said, excuse me, Mr. Walker, you know? And, and I'm looking up, and then I, I just freeze. I said, can I help you? Do you want an autograph? Yes. <laughs> do you have something for me to autograph? No, you know, I'm just frozen in awe. So finally he says, well, let me have your hat. And he signs my hat. And it was, I didn't even know what to say, right? Just the thought that one of my, my idols would be standing right in front of me. I never got the height that Kenny Skywalker did, right? I, I never, never had the basketball skills that he had. I didn't deserve to be in the same room, the same court as he was. This is the feeling I, I feel when I, I get close to God as the creator of all things, like, I don't deserve to be here. And yet you take the time, not just to autograph a hat, God, you take the time to grab my hand and lead me. You put your arm around me and say, we're going to be like father and son. I'm going to teach you everything you need to know. You could be my disciple and and I will never leave you. I, I will be your head. I will help you in all that you need help with. I am here with you. Continuing on in verse 19, we see that in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Now don't miss this verse. The in him immediately refers to Christ, but we start thinking about Christ again as the creator of all things. No, in him, the human being person of Jesus Christ, the flesh and blood of Jesus Christ, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. God didn't just create you and leave you. No, he came to your level. He became a human being, flesh and blood. It would be as if Kenny Skywalker could shrink down to be five foot eight, five foot seven, and be my size and go, I'm here with you. (laughs) Let's do this together. We're going to learn basketball together on your level so that you can get it, right? This is even greater. God saying, I'm coming and fully dwelling in flesh and blood humanity. I will lead you personally. Verse 20 then says, And through him, through Christ, he will reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, 
making peace by the blood of His cross. Christ is Lord over His people and He comes with purpose. And particularly here in verse 20, that leads us into the last center circle of this hymn and this poem. Christ created all things and we fall down in awe. But He comes to our level and picks us up because He wants to lead us. He's Lord over His people and ultimately Christ is Lord over redemption. It's not just that God came and said, let me show you how to do it. He said, let me show you how to do it and give you the ability to live your life according to how God created you. Christ is Lord over all of our salvation and our redemption. He's the one who takes our brokenness from falling down in awe and puts it back together and gives us worth. Verse 21 and 22 says, You who were once alienated and hostile in minds, doing evil deeds, He has now reconciled in His body of flesh by His death in order to present you holy and blameless above reproach before Him. Paul says this is what Christ did for you. When you were running away, broken and full of evil deeds, when you were alienated and hostile against God, it's in that moment when you hated Him that He was pleased to come and sacrifice Himself for you. This is a repeat of the Gospel that Paul gave us last week. This is a a clarification of exactly how Christ works. That the God of the universe would put on flesh to come as an example and lead us. And not only that, would sacrifice Himself so that any mistake or sin you have ever committed could be made right. That word reconcile means to bring you back in the order that God created you to be. If you remember, God did not create imperfect people. He created perfection. You and I messed that up. And through Christ now, through His body of flesh, by His death, we are now made right, reconciled, brought back into that perfect relationship. I love that Paul says now, He will present you as holy and blameless. I fall back again when I read this verse. You know, we started off, God, you're over everything. And I went, I don't deserve to be here. I'm stumbling. I fall down. And then he picks me back up. And then I read this. And he says, I present you as holy and blameless. And I go, stop. You've got the wrong guy, right? You must have a mistake. You're writing this to someone else. Because I, Pastor Trey, am neither holy nor blameless. There are plenty of things in my life that are are against what God wants me to do. If I'm honest with myself, there are still raw moments where I'm hostile, where I don't want to do what God's telling me to do, where I would much rather do what I want to do. But in Christ, through His body and His flesh, we are now presented before God the Father as holy and blameless. Paul doesn't say you're there yet. There'll be elsewhere that Paul says there's a goal you're reaching for. One day you'll get there. You're not there yet. But your standing before God has already happened as if you are holy and blameless. When Jesus introduces us to the Father again, He doesn't do so as a work in progress. He does so as a completed, saved individual, completely reconciled, holy and blameless before Him. Now think about this for just a moment. You 
in your imperfection are made holy because of Christ. All your mistakes, all your sins, all of your errors, everything you do wrong, you no longer have to be accountable for because Christ has paid for them. And then Paul puts this last verse in there to tell us then how that should look in our lives. How are we holy and blameless? Well, we're holy and blameless if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. How do we know we've experienced this reconciliation, this redemption? How do we know that we're made right with Christ? Well, Paul tells us we know if we continue in the faith. If we say, Lord, this is how you want me to live, this is how I'm going to live. Conversely, how do we know if we're not reconciled and if we're not a believer? If we're honest with ourselves, we don't care. There's a lot of people who have spent a lot of time praying a prayer. Lord, forgive me. Lord, come into my heart. Lord, save me. And their life has never changed, not one bit. Paul says, if you want that reconciliation, you not only need to embrace the forgiveness, you need to live in it. God saved you from sin, why would you go back? If God said, I'm bringing you out of the brokenness, why would you return? Now, if we remain faithful, if we're steadfast in the faith, it is evident that we have been reconciled to Christ. He is Lord over our redemption. As we think about Christ being Lord over all, It's tempting to to focus on those first few verses and just fall back and say, God, you've created all things. But this morning, I want to ask, is Christ Lord over your redemption? Has he saved you and reconciled you, brought you into that right relationship with the Father? And does your life reflect that relationship? Are you continuing in the faith to say, Lord, if this is how you want me to live, this is what I will do? Stumbling, sure, but standing up again and saying, Lord, fix it. Help me. Push me. This morning as we pray together, I would like for you to ask yourself the question, God, are you Christ over my life? Have I made you preeminent in my own heart? Have I made you the Lord of my salvation? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this beautiful picture that you are over all of creation. Lord, even more powerful. You are Lord over my heart and my life. Lord, forgive me because I often fail you. I feel feel still hostile at times. Lord, I fall down regularly and I pray now a confession. Ask that you would continue to forgive me over and over and over again. And Lord, fix my brokenness. Help me not to return to it again. Father, we thank you that you're in control of all things and that means you're in control right here and right now. We ask that you would send your spirit to touch our hearts and give us assurance and certainty of our salvation. It's in your name we pray. Amen.